Welcome to The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Listen to Joe tackle the really tough moral issues, current events, and politics from a Catholic perspective. Now here's Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Hello again, Sixpack Warriors. Welcome back to The Cantankerous Catholic, episode 214. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. I do solemnly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, and that I will obey the orders of the President of the United States and the orders of the officers appointed over me, according to the regulation and uniform code of military justice. So help me God. under a post-constitutional government. It's way past time to restore our Constitution in order for Americans to once again live free or die trying. As you know, I don't like asking for your financial support. I always want a win-win situation whenever possible. Well, I've got a way for you to help this apostolate without you having to do anything you're not already doing. Everybody shops on Amazon. I've developed an affiliate relationship with Amazon. When you visit cantankerouscatholic.com and click on the episodes page, blog page, or about the show page, on the right-hand side of the page you'll see Amazon ads for Catholic books and merchandise. 
There's no price difference from Amazon's site, but if you click on something you're interested in and buy it, Amazon will pay me a small commission just for you clicking on that ad. It doesn't stop there either. Anytime you're on Amazon and find things you want to buy, send me the link to the items and I'll send you another link to click when you're ready to buy. You won't pay a dime more for the item, but Amazon will pay me a commission. That way you can help to financially support this apostolate just by doing what you were going to do anyway. Remember, visit the episodes, blog, and about the show pages to find Catholic books and merchandise, and send me links to other things you want to buy on Amazon, and I'll send you the links that will pay this apostolate a small commission. And I thank you in advance for your support. A few things before I get to the main topic. One thing I forgot to mention last week was about sending in your questions for Bishop Strickland. I need your questions, and His Excellency wants them. It doesn't matter whether your questions are angry or informational. Ask Bishop Strickland anything you want. I don't cherry-pick, and neither does he. His Excellency doesn't refuse any of the questions, so send them to me at joe at cantankerouscatholic.com or go to the Ask Joe page at cantankerouscatholic.com. The next thing is about my cousin, whom I call my brother. His name is Richard, but I call him Mikey, and I think I'm the only person who can get away with calling him that. He's a 22-year airborne combat veteran and winner of several medals for valor. Most of his career was highly classified, so much so that we sometimes didn't even know where he was. But now, more than 20 years later, he's experiencing organ failure, high blood pressure, and diabetes, among other health issues. He's even suffering from PTSD but the worst is the failure of various organs. He's certainly getting medical treatment from the VA, but that's not as good as it sounds. Take it from this veteran who depends on the VA. There are still financial hardships, and his are mounting quickly. And don't think I'm making this plea for help just because we're related. I do this for any heroic combat veteran. So please go to my show notes for this episode at cantankerouscatholic.com and give what you can. The goal is $5,000, and we haven't even made it to a third of that yet. Finally, Pat and Kimberly Burke have been doing the Sharing the Catholic Faith presentations, and they're doing a bang-up job. In fact, they've consistently hosted more attendees than I ever have, which is a sign they're where God wants them to be. Besides, they're nicer than I am. To begin getting invitations to the event, put yourself on any one of my mailing lists. You'll find a form on the homepage of cantankerouscatholic.com. Sign up today. You've heard me promote the Article 5 Convention of States before. I honestly believe that in the past I've done a poor job of promoting and explaining this movement, which is laid out for us in the U.S. Constitution's fifth article. Well, I've decided to correct my deficiencies on this topic. I dug up a four-year-old episode of Fox News Channel's Life, Liberty, and Levin. On this episode, the very best three men to discuss the Article 5 Convention of States are in this 13-minute discussion. 
They are Mark Levin, Dr. Tom Coburn, and Mark Meckler. Before letting you hear the discussion, I'm going to tell you a little bit about each of these men. Since six-pack warriors are patriots, I'm pretty sure most of you are at least somewhat familiar with Mark Levin. Mark Levin is an American lawyer, author, and radio personality. He's the host of syndicated radio show, The Mark Levin Show, as well as Life, Liberty, and Levin on Fox News. Levin worked in the Reagan administration as chief of staff for Attorney General Ed Meese. He's the former president of the Landmark Legal Foundation, a New York Times best-selling author of seven books, and contributes commentary to media outlets such as National Review Online. Since 2015, he's been editor-in-chief of the Conservative Review. I personally believe Levin is the foremost constitutional scholar in America, and I've been a student of the Constitution for at least 40 years. Tom Coburn, who died three years ago, was an American politician and physician who served as a United States Senator for Oklahoma from 2005 until his resignation in 2015. A Republican, he previously served as a United States Representative. Coburn was elected to the House of Representatives in 1994 as part of the Republican Revolution. He upheld his campaign pledge to serve no more than three consecutive terms and didn't run for re-election in 2000. In 2004, he returned to political life with a successful run for the United States Senate. Coburn was re-elected to a second term in 2010 and kept his pledge not to seek a third term in 2016. Coburn was a fiscal and social conservative known for his opposition to deficit spending and pork barrel projects and for his opposition to abortion. Described as the godfather of the modern conservative austerity movement, he supported term limits, gun rights, and the death penalty, and opposed same-sex marriage and embryonic stem cell research. Many Democrats referred to him as Dr. No due to his frequent use of technicalities to block federal spending bills. Mark Meckler is an American political activist, attorney, and business executive. He currently serves as president of Citizens for Self-Government and Convention of States Action and is an active proponent of a convention to propose amendments to the Constitution. Meckler was a co-founder of the Tea Party Patriots before resigning from the organization in 2012. From February through May 2021, Meckler served as the interim CEO of social media platform Parler. Levin, Coburn, and Meckler join in this 13-minute segment of Life, Liberty, and Levin to explain the movement, its roots in the Constitution, and a little bit of history. I'm going to play that segment for you now. When it's done, I'll come back for some very brief commentary. Dr. Coburn, you're elected to the Senate, and then you said, that's enough. Tell us about that. Well, Mark, I, sp I spent 10 years in the U.N. State Senate following the enumerated powers, what our Constitution laid out for us. And I actually sent letters every year to every senator saying, I'm going to block whatever you do if you don't do that. And that 10 years, I was able to do some positive things, but not near what is necessary. And I came to the conclusion after 10 years that what's wrong with our country isn't going to get fixed by the career politicians in the Senate or the House. 
because we have abandoned the core principles of the enumerated powers and we have this ever-expansive government that is limiting our freedom, but also sacrificing the future of our kids because we've mortgaged their future. And so I left looking for another method with which we can cheat history and not be a republic that falls because we didn't continue with the principles, the foundational principles that we had. What are the issues that think, that you think will cause this republic to fall? Oh, several. Uh, one, the lack of virtue that's been promoted in the public education system. Uh, number two, the debt. Number three, the unfunded liabilities. And number four, the abandonment of the rule of law. And if you go read the history on other republics, we're doing exactly what they did that caused their own collapse. And we're repeating it. And you, you just had noticed this week that the Treasury is going to borrow another three-quarter trillion dollars more this year than they did last year. At some point in time, somebody's not going to loan us the money. And then the game's up. And our, then the our, consequences are terrible for our kids. Republicans control Congress. They yeah. used to campaign as fiscal conservatives, at least, they would say, well, no, don't focus on the social issues. Don't fo Let's at least focus on the financial and fiscal issues. What's happening? Well, I, uh, you know, I think that's a natural consequences of career politicians. I mean, if you look at the people who vote against all this stuff, they're not the career politicians. They're the individual uh, citizen legislator who says that isn't what we're supposed to be here for. You know, one of the things I found really interesting is the oath when you go into the Senate doesn't mention your state, mentions the U.S. Constitution, mentions our country, do what's in the best interest of the country. And I found that that was in conflict with reelection with many members of the Senate. And that's the other reason I left is I didn't see a body that was capable of fixing the big problems of our country because there's the government has become so ever big that it micromanages. You know, on average, the average state government only gets to decide 40% of the issues of their own money. An unelected bureaucrat in Washington decides it the rest of the time. And that isn't what we fought in for. That isn't what I believe our Constitution or our framers thought. What our framers thought is that we had experiments going on in different states and that there was a limited role for the federal government. And actually, in the Clear documents said everything else is left to the people and to the states. Well, we've abandoned that completely from Washington. We believe Washington, the country believes Washington, the politicians believe Washington, the judges believe Washington should control it all. And that isn't where I came from. That wasn't what I was taught. I don't believe that's what our founders believed. And so we have a solution that will actually solve this great problem. Mark Meckler. You're an activist, one of the great leaders of the great Tea Party movement. 2010, Democrats are swept out of the House of Representatives. Soon thereafter, Democrats are swept out of the Senate. You figure, okay, now's the time to really get control over spending, the size of government, and so forth. And you see that's not happening. Then you decide to move into another area. Tell us about Convention of States. What is Article 5 of the Constitution all about? And why is it so important that our viewers know about this? Well, you know, from all that activism, from the big switch in, in 2010 especially, and realizing that nothing changed, I realized we were attacking the wrong problem. The problem we were attacking was a personnel issue, wrong people in Congress. If you could just put the right people in, the right stuff would happen. Time has shown us that's not the case, right? We know that 
things haven't changed. We just had this $1.3 trillion supplemental budget, whatever they want to call it. It's just not fiscally responsible. So there had to be another problem. And if you dig in, what you find historically is we've created a structural problem. It's not a personnel issue. We've actually broken the structure of our government. So if you put good people like Tom Coburn in Congress, like Jim DeMint and others, now Jim Jordan, Mark Meadows, there's some good people in Congress. They're working in a broken system. They cannot fix what ails the country. The founders gave us a remedy for this. They knew it was coming. In Article 5 of the Constitution, they inserted the second clause, which gives you and me, acting through our state legislatures, the power to call a convention of states for the very purpose of proposing amendments to restrain government tyranny. And sometimes when I say that, people say, how do you know what the purpose was? And we can look back at Madison's notes. What happens is two days before the end of the convention, September 15th, 1787, you have Colonel George Mason from Virginia stands, addresses the assembly, says something like this. We have a problem with the document we've created. We've given the power to Congress to propose amendments, but not the people. And he asks a question. Are we so naive that we believe that a government that becomes a tyranny will ever propose the right kind of amendments to restrain their own tyranny? Madison's notes, really interesting there. They debated everything, right? Not that. His notes say nin com in Latin means no comment, no debate. And unanimously, they vote to put this second clause of Article 5 that gives us the power. And important we remember specifically what they intended is the power to restrain a federal government run amok. So that's the purpose of our efforts around Article 5 is to call a convention, get the states together, have them propose amendments specifically that will serve to restrain federal tyranny. Isn't it true, Dr. Coburn, that this is what the states used to do? They used to meet, they used to have conventions, not constitutional conventions, conventions of the states, to resolve problems, to address issues. And so this was common practice. So to insert it in the Constitution, as Mark Meckler says, was to counter this notion that only amendments can come from the federal Congress, two-thirds of both houses. And wasn't it Mason who said, what if Congress is oppressive? Yeah, right. Then what will the people do? Other than violence, there needs to be a way to address this. So why, why do you think so many Republicans in state houses and state senates claim to be standing up for the Constitution by opposing the Constitution? That is, by opposing Convention of States and Article 5, which is the second way provided by the framers and the ratifiers to amend the Constitution. Well, I think there's two reasons to that. Uh, you know, you either have fear or courage. And what we see today is a lot of fear in our country. And leadership requires courage to do the right thing. And so you also have a lot of interest groups that are making money off of opposing this and actually siding with the far left progressive that we shouldn't fix our country and limit it. You know, I, I think there's four main things that allow a republic to survive. Touched on a little bit, but rule of law is really important. That's under, under stress. Virtue, under stress. There's no question about it. Number three is a limited government. We have anything but a limited government. And number four is economic freedom. This country led the world for 200 years in economic freedom. We're 17th in the world now. Why is that? That's the tyranny of a large government that interferes with the ability to start, build, and expand a business. And so one of the things you're seeing presently through the 
the elimination of lots of regulation is good economic growth. It's not all based on tax. It's based on the, the monkeys getting off business so that it actually can create wealth and create jobs. So, you know, I think the number one reason is fear and lack of knowledge. And so hopefully through you and other people and what we're doing around the country is that we can educate people. Here's what our founders thought. You know, this, this isn't a Johnny-come-lately idea. It's been there. They put it in intentionally so we could have a solution to where we are today. And they knew this would happen because history tells us mm-hmm. this is what happens to republics. Mark Meckler, isn't it true there's two ways to amend the Constitution under Article 5? Through Congress, state ratification. Through the states, state ratification. That's really the only difference. But isn't it true today the Supreme Court amends the Constitution? Congress passes statutes, amends the Constitution, the massive bureaucracy. In other words, the process isn't even being followed. And so when you raise one of the processes that actually exist in the Constitution, that's actually a legitimate way to address efforts to act outside the constitutional boundaries. Yeah, you nailed it. And the founders actually warned us about this, about amending the Constitution bit by bit through the courts, through legislative action. This, Mark, by the way, is why the left opposes this so much, because they've been doing this for over a century. They amend through the courts. And most people don't realize this. They think of the Constitution as that thing they carry in their pocket, right, or the one in the National Archives, beautiful document. Today, if you order the Constitution from the government printing office, the government publishing office, you can order it, $130 roughly. It is now 2,738 pages. With the supplements, it's over 3,000 pages. It weighs over 10 pounds, contains every Supreme Court case that has ever told us what that beautiful, succinct document means. It's outrageous. So we're living out of this big, fat document. It's not the Constitution that most people think we're living under. That's, for the most part, the left's Constitution. They love that big, fat book because it gives government almost unlimited power. So what do you say to those who say, I love the Constitution. We'll never do better than the men who gathered in Philadelphia. My answer is, I agree, but we can do better than the men and women who serve on the Supreme Court or who serve in Congress, because it is they who have changed the United States Constitution, and it is we who need to bring it back. Does that make sense? It does. This is actually a movement to restore the Constitution. And I, what I usually say to people who ask that question is, as I say, well, which Constitution are you referring to? I mean, we have two in America. We have the one that you and I and all your readers and listeners and viewers love, and that's that pocket Constitution, the one in the National Archives. And then we have the one that's been changed over the last mostly 115 years by the federal courts and the Supreme Court, by actions of the federal government. I love the original, and my goal is to strip away a bunch of those decisions that changed the Constitution, that gave the federal government so much power, that made the citizens smaller, and restore the citizen and the states to their proper place in the balance. Is it realistic to believe that the entities, the institutions, and the individuals who have created this post-constitutional design will give us back our constitutional design? Well, you know, I don't care what they believe. Uh, what I believe is, is the American, the American spirit is about liberty and freedom. And, and if you go talk to individuals, I was in 32 states last year. Mm. If you go talk to individuals, they want their freedom. They want to be able to decide. And, you know, as Mark says often, this, this movement is about making recommendations to the states. There's nothing 
foundational in this other than making recommendations, but it's really about who gets to decide our own government. And what's happened is no longer do people get to decide. Unelected judges, unelected bureaucrats have decided for us. And so it's about restoring the process. So I think we can, but I think what we have to do is be very clear about what our intent is. Our intent is about restoring liberty, about restoring decision-making at the states, about honoring the vision of our founders that we will decide as people. We give the power to the government. We give it to them. They don't give it to us. We give it to them. And we have the right to maintain and focus on our own freedom and our own movements within our individual states. And that's limited, of course, within the Bill of Rights now. But it, the Bill of Rights is ignored, as, as are the enumerated powers. So I, I, think it's, I think it's ever positive that people can see that if we actually restore the Commerce Clause to what it was intended, then states will have a return of their rights to make decisions for their own individuals, and the individuals in that states can actually control what happens in their state. I hope you now have a more clear understanding of an Article Five Convention of States. To go along with what you've heard today, I highly recommend Mark Levin's best-selling book, The Liberty Amendments. I also recommend two other books on the topic. A Federalist Manifesto, and A Convention of States, How to Win the Battle Between the Commons and the Aristocracy. There are links to all three books in my show notes for this episode on cantankerouscatholic.com. Why am I such a big supporter of the Convention of States? Well, the short answer is because I'm a patriot from a long and proud line of patriots. The only thing I love more than this country is the church established by Christ. The longer answer is more explanatory. Trump can't fix America, even if he can stay in office permanently. Congress and the courts have gone too far, and the federal bureaucracy has become too large. Besides, I won't be supporting Trump in the primary anyway. DeSantis is going to run, and he's already begun hiring staffers in the early primary states. Trump has come out in full support of everything LGBT, and I can't support that. DeSantis, on the other hand, opposes those ideologies, and he's a Catholic who puts our holy and ancient faith above politics. Besides, he and Trump read off the same page anyway. Either way, neither Trump nor DeSantis can repair the government. It's beyond repair. There are only two ways our nation can be repaired. The first is divine intervention, and I don't believe God will even touch our nation to repair it until this nation repents of its sins. You know, things like, oh, little things, like abortion. So the only political solution would be to have an Article Five Convention of States. I believe no matter what state you live in, you six-pack warriors can and should get involved in the Convention of States movement. I've included a link in my show notes along with the book links. I urge you to visit the Article 5 Convention of States website, browse through it, then join to pitch in and help. That's what I've been doing for the last eight years. If you don't join in and help, don't cry about the problems we have in America, because if you're not part of the solution, you are part of the problem. I've been sharing the faith with people for over 30 years. 
The Holy Spirit has used me to make hundreds of converts and 84 of them are my adult godchildren. When the Holy Spirit works through us in a big way, He usually uses the talents given to us before we were even born. When we develop those talents for Him, we're often impelled to pass on to others what we've done and how we've done it for the greater glory of God. That's why I wrote the Lay Evangelist Handbook. You might say the Lay Evangelist Handbook was 30 years in the making, because in this book I share with you all the best that I've learned about how to share the faith with laps and non-Catholics so you can bring your friends and family to the fullness of divinely revealed truth. The very first chapter gives you a thorough explanation of the things you need to do to maximize your effectiveness so you won't end up with egg on your face when trying to engage people. I explain the differences between the various types of lay evangelists and others you can learn from. I even talk about some statistics that should help give you a real sense of urgency for sharing the faith. Then I get to the step-by-step -step process for sharing the faith. I give a full presentation of the exact text I've used and refined for 30 years. I tell you what to do, what to say, and how to do and say it, while leaving room for you to work in your own personality and make these techniques your own. There's no other book like this on the market. So get your print or ebook copy of the Lay Evangelist Handbook today. It's available in print on cantankerouscatholic.com or in print and ebook on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. It's time for the Sacred Heart Wins with Bishop Joseph Strickland. Each week, His Excellency answers your toughest questions about the Catholic faith, the problems in the church, spiritual questions, catechetical topics, or anything else you want to know. If you have a question, just email it to joe at cantankerouscatholic.com. Now here's Bishop Strickland and Joseph Pack, the Every Catholic Guy. Six-Pack Warriors, here I am again with Bishop Strickland of Tyler, Texas, and I have your questions, he has your answers, and uh, boy, have we got one today, Excellency, how are you? Good, how are you, Joe? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fine, I've kind of been biting at the bit to hear you answer this one. <laughs> boy, this is exciting, and it's by necessity, it's really kind of long. There is a Dominican priest, I forgot who asked the question and I forgot to put it down, but there is a Dominican priest in our local area that has written several books about himself receiving dreams of dead persons who died tragically. I haven't read any of his books, but he states in his podcast that he helps the dead person become unstuck from their current state so they can move on in the afterlife. He even goes so far as to state that these dead people helped him write one of his books. He supposedly has helped over 250 souls in the afterlife. How could his superior and our bishop allow him to allow him to be a priest in good standing. Mediums are contrary to the faith. The name of the priest is Father Nathan Castle, who currently appears to be in good standing with his Dominican order and our local bishop. 
The priest is allowed to do retreats in our diocese, uh, so the bishop must approve of him. I'm literally appalled that he's allowed in any parish. He acts like a medium to the dead, although he doesn't call himself one. He states that he gets approval from dead people to tell their stories, and he states that he helps them with their issues so they can move on in the afterlife. <laughs> she repeats, he, can, he calls himself a mystic for the dead. He has done many podcasts with mediums and others who promote New Age thought on interfacing with the dead. I'm curious what your excellency would do with this priest if he was in your diocese. Now, before you answer that, I have, you know, I've never heard of any of this. So I did my due diligence and I researched this priest. And the questioner is indeed absolutely accurate on every point. Uh, this is, there's nothing here that's blown out of proportion. It's all true. So, okay, what would your excellency do? Well, um, I mean, literally, if this was happening in my diocese, I'd have to have a conversation with the priest and understand a lot more of the story than what I've heard. Um, it sounds strange, but, uh, you know, it, it's hard to make a judgment on the, the limited information that is there, but it, it, uh, I'll put it this way. It, it raises a, uh, a caution flag at least. I mean, I would, the, I would call the priest in to, to get an understanding of, of exactly what's going on. What's he claiming all of that stuff? Because as you said, I mean, it's, it's clearly wrong to, um, interface, you know, yeah. with the death. I mean, that's <laughs> it, just not. It's it sort of seems to me like he's being his own purgatory. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, I could imagine what that conversation you called him in for would be like. <laughs> uh, it probably wouldn't be as, uh, oh, as kind as public ears would hear it <laughs> yeah this it would need to be very clear yeah i would think so that uh i don't understand how his superiors and the local bishop i don't know what diocese this is can't remember but i just don't understand how they can allow this to go unchecked okay you're not in your head you're not going to comment <laughs> Oh, well, man. I just don't have enough information. I mean, you get into some strange territory there. Um, well, he definitely had heresy on his website. I can't remember the name of the website. I think it may have just been NathanCastle.com, but he definitely had heresy on there. And by the way, for clarification to you, six-pack warriors, because a person spouts heresy does not mean he's a heretic that is a canonical designation and it has to be levied by the church through canonical court but yeah it's heresy nonetheless would you agree with that excellency absolutely 
I, I really thought this one needed some discussion because I've never heard of such thing from a priest. I honestly haven't. I mean, James yeah. Martin didn't surprise me, but this did. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, Excellency, if that's all you've got on that one, that is our only question this week. Thank you so much for answering. Thank you for being here, and we'll see you next week. Thanks, Joe. Bye, Excellency. Can you see yourself making converts? Very few books have ever been written to teach the mechanics of practical Catholic evangelization, something all Catholics are obliged to do. Of the books available, none teach you a step-by-step method for actually cultivating an inquirer, then taking that inquirer all the way to the baptismal font. Until now, nobody is more qualified to teach Catholic evangelization than Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy. Joe Sixpack has made hundreds of converts since 1988 in small group and one-on-one venues, and 84 of them are his adult godchildren. Consequently, Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy, is a virtual treasure trove of how-to resources for evangelization. In the Lay Evangelist's Handbook, Joe Sixpack will show you how to become one of God's rock stars of evangelization, what the two primary obligations are for all Catholics that most people don't know, how to begin the journey to becoming a saint, the actual mechanics of productive evangelization, the dangers of nice Catholicism, how to hear God laugh, what to do step-by-step to win over a convert, and much, much more. Get your copy of the Lay Evangelist's Handbook by Joe Sixpack, The Every Catholic Guy, today in print or ebook on Amazon, Apple Books, Barnes & Noble, and Kobo. It's time for the Catholic Boot Camp with your drill sergeant, Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Learn the Catholic faith and how to defend it like you've never heard it before. This boot camp is tough, so there's no political correctness, no spirit of Vatican II, and no namby-pamby platitudes. Drill sergeant Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, will prepare you for spiritual war. Now here's Joe Sixpack. One of the things I touched on last week was artificial contraception. Artificial contraception is a perversion of nature, and people who engage in perversions of nature or perverted activity, society calls perverts. Sorry, that's just the way things are. Now, I'm not talking about artificial contraception this week, and I won't belabor the point. I'll just let my last two sentences hang in the air for contemplation. Although I'm not handling the topic of artificial contraception this week, that topic does inspire this week's subject. This week's Catholic boot camp is on the topic of reparation for our sins. The artificial contraception issue made me think of a friend of mine in Texas. My friend, we'll call him Jimmy, founded and operates what is perhaps the most successful prison apostolate in the nation. He operates only in the Texas penal system. 
His apostolate makes boatloads of converts and, prepare to be astonished, his effort is showing signs of actually producing saints out of the flawed material of hardened criminals. But then, aren't we all flawed? This wouldn't be so significant if it were being done in medium and minimum security facilities, where violence is far less prevalent. But this Catholic apostolate is operated only in the most deadly and violent maximum security facilities in Texas. Is its reputation for success mere hype? Well, the most cynical people in the world when it comes to jailhouse conversions are prison wardens. This prison apostolate began in just one Texas maximum security facility, a state that has 50 prisons, and reluctantly and cautiously welcomed by the warden. As of now, my friend's prison apostolate is in three Texas maximum security facilities, all by invitation of those same cynical prison wardens. The reason the wardens want this apostle in their prison is strictly, and cynically, for security motives. These wardens say that wherever my friend's apostolate is, violence in the form of stabbings, assaults, rapes, and murders drop substantially. Almost all of the men touched by this apostolate were members of violent gangs that make their money from the sale of dangerous drugs, and they don't have any compunction whatsoever about hurting or killing people who get in their way. Furthermore, many of those prisoners who were associated with the apostolate are purported to have returned to their communities, began living positive and productive lives, and take an active role in the life of their parishes. This apostolate is proof of two things. The first is, even hardened criminals can change, with God's help. And we owe them the benefit of a doubt, otherwise we must wash our hands of the Apostle Paul, a man who was a murderer of early Christians. The second thing it proves is that any work God is involved in will be successful. Let's talk about God's involvement in this particular apostolate. Several years ago, I asked Jimmy why he would risk his life to go into the bowels of a dangerous maximum security prison to spread the Catholic faith as founded by Christ when he could sit back and enjoy his life as he approached retirement. His response was both surprising and edifying. It seems Jimmy was admittedly like most Catholics in modern America. He claims he went to Mass every Sunday and Holy Day, followed by confession during Lent, but that's pretty much where his Catholicism ended. He admits he didn't really have a good knowledge or understanding of the faith. So what changed Jimmy's life? There was a tragedy in my friend's life that forced him to turn to God, a thing we can nearly all relate to. But in the process of turning to God for help, he was forced by circumstances and the reading materials providentially placed in his path to admit he was ignorant of many of the most important tenets of the faith and that he had been far less than a 100% committed Catholic. So Jimmy began reading and studying every classic Catholic resource he could get his hands on. And by the way, for those of you interested at this point, I'd recommend any book, CD, or DVD from Tan Books and Ignatius Press, two sources that can always be trusted. Anyway, as Jimmy learned and grew in the faith, a journey his wife made with him, he realized that all the childbearing years of his marriage were lived in mortal sin. 
Jimmy and his wife had immorally practiced the sexually perverse sin of using artificial contraception. He realized that they'd spent their entire married life seriously violating the Fifth and Sixth Commandments. Jimmy also realized that all those years of mortal sin required many years of reparation. Just because you aren't aware of the damage you cause with a mortal sin doesn't mean you don't have to pay for that damage. Reparation has to be made in this life or the next life in purgatory. Since the pains of purgatory are like hell, but they lessen over time and end when the reparation is done, it just makes good sense to make reparation in this life. So Jimmy made up his mind to make reparation to God by working in this prison apostolate. How it started, I don't know, but there are two things I do know. First, Jimmy rightly surmised he had to make reparation, and God blessed his efforts as a result. He's not only managed to build a stellar reputation with Texas prison authorities, and in our last conversation I discovered he was helping one warden grow in his Catholic faith, but he's been able to share the Catholic faith with men who desperately need it. Oh, and let's not forget how he shares the Catholic faith with wardens and guards by way of shining example. Second, in the course of making his reparation, Jimmy has been able to perfectly fulfill one of the seven corporal works of mercy, an obligation all Catholics have, six of which are spelled out by Jesus himself in the 25th chapter of Matthew. All of us have committed grave sin in our lives. Many times we've committed those sins without realizing we were committing sins due to our ignorance of Christ's commands and the church's teachings. It was only after I became a Catholic that I realized I was required to make reparation for my sins, despite that the sins had all been forgiven. Some of the deliberate sins, things I knew were evil before becoming Catholic, I've been making reparation for ever since my conversion. Some I'll never stop doing penance for, like my friend Jimmy who recognizes the immensity of the evil he committed. Jimmy committed Texas-sized sins, and now he's doing a Texas-sized penance. Why? Well, perhaps you need to do the same. If you own a website that generates revenue for you, directly or indirectly, According to a recent Supreme Court ruling, you must be compliant with the Americans with Disabilities Act, or ADA. If you're not compliant, the government can fine you $50,000. Slip and fall lawyers are scouring the internet for non-compliant websites to sue on behalf of disabled clients for tens of thousands of dollars. One disabled man has filed over 800 lawsuits against non-compliant site owners. There were over 10,000 suits filed in 2020, but that number grew to 100,000 in 2022. Once they file suit against you, the government will definitely fine you, and there's no way to win against the fines or suit. You simply have to settle. Getting your website ADA compliant is very expensive. The minimum I've seen charged for this service is $4,000, but I've seen as much as $15,000. Well, I've learned how to make websites ADA compliant. If you want your website ADA compliant and avoid lawsuits and fines, 
as well as help finance this apostolate at the same time. For you six-pack warriors, I'll only charge $1,000 for full compliance. The $4,000 minimum charged by other ADA compliance consultants will only keep you from being fined. It takes full compliance to keep you from being sued, but that costs from $11,000 to $15,000. Again, I'll do full compliance for any six-pack warrior for only $1,000 or $100 a month. Just click the link in my show notes on cantankerouscatholic.com and we'll get your site ADA compliant. Get compliant or risk lawsuits and fines. Catholic Church is 2,000 years old. A lot of wisdom is gained over two millennia. Each week we'll share some of that wisdom with a Catholic quote. So here's this week's Catholic quote. This week's Catholic quote is from St. Dominic Savio. Incidentally, he's the saint whose life convinced me anyone can become a saint. He said, ask Jesus to make you a saint. After all, only he can do that. Go to confession regularly and to communion as often as you can. I believe a really great way to teach the faith is through stories, parables, and anecdotes. So here's today's story. One day a messenger came breathlessly to King St. Louis' court and told the king, Your Majesty, hurry to the chapel. A great miracle is going on there. What kind of miracle, the king asked? A great miracle. A priest is saying Holy Mass, and after the consecration instead of a host, there is visible on the altar Jesus Christ himself. Hurry before it disappears. The king remained quiet, which surprised the messenger. Well, aren't you coming, Majesty? asked the messenger. No, replied the king. Let them go to see the miracle who have any doubt regarding the real presence of our Lord in the Holy Sacrament. As for me, even if I saw Jesus on the altar in his visible form and touched him with my hand and heard his voice, I'd not be more convinced than I am now that he's present in the consecrated host. My faith is sufficient for me. I need no miracle. The faith of St. Louis was so strong that he didn't need any visions of Jesus to prove that the color, weight, and shape were only the appearances of bread and wine, but that Jesus' body, blood, soul, and divinity was really contained, offered, and received under those appearances. He believed this because Jesus said so, and Jesus is God himself. This has been The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Thanks for subscribing, and be sure to visit cantankerouscatholic.com to get your free copy of Joe's popular book, The Best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It.